I'm not, I don't remember jokes, so I have like no stash of jokes. This is like the one piece of homework you had to do for the show. I know, I know. I even asked too. Um, it's been such a busy weekend, I've been working on grants and stuff. So the best joke would be if you just like ended the show right here and said like he didn't have a joke and do like your whole whatever intro and everything, but just end the interview right here. That would be my suggestion for a joke. All right, Peter, thanks for coming. <laughs> thanks for having me on. Hello, this is the Calgarian. I'm Taylor Lambert. Uh, cities are dynamic creatures. All cities are changing in various ways and to various degrees, and sometimes that change is obvious, and sometimes it's not. And something that I often hear about Calgary from people who visit or people who move here from other places is that it's kind of meh. You know, it's very dominated by suburbs and sprawl. The transit system isn't great. The culture feels very corporate and buttoned down and conservative. And oftentimes the people who say these things are coming from places like Vancouver or Toronto or Montreal, cities that are, in many ways, more of what I'd say visibly vibrant than Calgary, more street life, more of an urban feel and culture. But the thing is that this perception of Calgary, and this is what I tell people who dismiss Calgary, is that it's based on a snapshot in time, comparing what Calgary is today to what other cities are today. But because I've lived in Calgary for a long time, I know how much it's changed. Yes, we still have a long way to go and so many civic and cultural improvements to make, but Calgary, in my view, is so much better in many ways than it was 15 years ago, even five years ago. And when I say that, I'm thinking of things like the cycle track and the BRT network, which were hard-won improvements to the city. The mural project in the Beltline, which makes the city feel alive and creative when you're walking on the street. Hell, even the victory of secondary suites is a huge win for Calgary, given how impossible that felt just a few years ago. And something that all of those things have in common is the involvement of my guest today. Peter Oliver is the founder and current president of the Beltline Neighborhoods Association, and he's also an organizer with a really solid track record of fighting for and winning real tangible improvements that help build community and change Calgary for the better. Just before we get to our conversation, a quick reminder that this show really depends on the support of you. Yes, you, person listening right now. If you like these episodes and conversations with interesting people in the city, please help me keep it going. Tell your friends about it. Spread the word on social media. Leave a review in your podcast app which helps people find the show, or contribute a buck or two a month on Patreon. Visit thecalgarian.ca for more details, or check the show notes for links. And now, here is my conversation with Peter Oliver. I think this is like, we're probably up to like 10% of, of guests who forget to tell a joke, forget to, forget to bring a joke. Okay. So you're, you're not alone. Okay, okay. So it's like, it's maybe even a good sign if you don't have a joke prepared. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um, to go over your, your resume is, is very complicated. You do a lot of different things. You have done a lot of different things. You are just a man about town. You are the president and founder 
of the Beltline Neighborhoods Association, you, which, of course, um, is responsible for great things like the Bump Festival, the Murals Project in the Beltline, and the Beltline Bond Spiel. Uh, you were a co-founder of Calga Calgarians for Cycle Tracks, mm -hmm. Calgarians for BRT, Calgarians for Secondary Suites. There's like a pattern there. Like yeah. Calgarians, Calgarians for puppies. For, it works. Just it's like a turn it into a band, like Calgarians for like jazz, and just have a jazz quartet. And then... have, you, have you considered like amalgamating all those things, like Calgarians for, for secondary suite cycle tracks, BRT, and free candy? <sighs> I, I haven't really gone into like food and beverage yet with the concept. It, it's, it's bound to happen. Maybe start with a food truck and pilot that and then go into, uh, yeah, maybe Calgarians for ice cream first. Oh, yeah, right. that's good, yeah. yeah. Or, or try the opposite, like Calgarians against something and then you know see which one wins out i feel like you don't you don't have like a, a very oppositional vibe you're, you're all your projects are very positive oriented i feel generally yeah yeah well, i'd say so uh and when you're not doing those things uh you also host two shows on cjsw palgary almanac and canada 200 and in your spare time you're an engineer yeah um it uh it's a fair bit to juggle it kind of usually usually works out where not everything's always happening at once so it might seem like a ridiculous amount of things but usually they kind of level out so when one thing's not as busy another thing can be or you can focus or shift your attention between different things so um but it's yeah it's kind of like none of it was just planned it just kind of happened a certain it just kind of like rolled out and things came up and and then the next thing I knew I was there was something else going on that we were doing so yeah I mean I feel like you're being a little bit humble because like even if okay things like uh, the schedule sorts itself out there's still just like so many hours in a day like do you not sleep do you not have hobbies outside of these things <laughs> uh no you just kind of learn how to work better I guess or like get things done I, I think actually uh, one thing I can say, which is maybe might be a little bit insightful, is just that the more of these things you do, the more uh, people you connect with in the city, and the easier it becomes to to take on different things or to to pull different things off. Like if I were to think of starting the Bump Festival from what I had done from where I was five years ago or something, it would have been completely daunting. Whereas it's something because of all these other things it's been a lot easier to just start these projects or take an idea and run with it i do want to get into like how you started these projects and what it's like to organize here but um just a little bit of an origin story you grew up in calgary but you weren't born here is that right so i moved here in 94 i grew up in well i half grew up in mississauga suburb of toronto Glorious, glorious place. Just lush, suburban, you know. I hear nice things about <laughs> Mississauga. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a nice place. Like, the all, all along Lake Ontario, they're super nice. I love the Ontario climate. Um, yeah, I still go back. I have family in Toronto. But I moved here in 94, uh, so that was around the time I was in junior high. And... Uh, uh, stayed here, went to university here, um, and grew up in Woodbine in the southwest of Calgary, which was kind of like 
peak cul-de-sac, I think, in terms of like, <laughs> like peak before they really realized how, um, how poor the urban planning and design was. Um, I think that's about as bad as it got. Um, Woodbine, all the dead-end streets you'll ever want. Yeah, all the curviness uh, you can ever, uh, a human could ever want. And then uh, in 2003, I moved to the Beltline, and um, over time, I think I finished en electrical engineering here, and um, kind of just over time made the Beltline my like home base neighborhood, and began to live it and try to live it in a more like walkable village-like way, I guess. Why, why did you choose the Beltline to move to? What, what was it about it that uh, attracted you? It was just sort of the vibrancy. I've, um, I spent a lot of time in Montreal. I had family in Montreal growing up, and there's something about that city that always appeals to me, just how much is going on on the street, how walkable it is, how, um, how much you can do just on your, your feet or taking transit. Um, the, the bike system and network that they've rolled out in the last you know, decade or two there is super cool. And so that's um, that the Beltline was really the closest to that that I think existed and probably still exists today in Calgary. So, so what was your first, I guess, civic or community involvement? Um, I think I did a lot more different political campaigns. I worked on uh, uh, Mayor Nenshi's first election campaign. I did some provincial politics stuff for a while, and I don't know. That was all right. I kind of, that was sort of learning a little bit about organizing and putting up signs and stuff and meeting people who were sort of generally interested in city building, I think, was sort of the first step of all this stuff. I'm doing today and and that was sort of the the gateway to that I guess um, so you founded the Beltline Neighborhood Association in 2016 so tell me about that how did that originate uh, that was more just connecting with a number of people who were sort of frustrated that um, there wasn't really an active community association I mean like every uh, neighborhood in, in Calgary pretty much has some form of CA a lot of them are really just um, they suit the the areas where they are, and a lot of them are uh, focused on running recreation facilities. And um, the Beltline was sort of unique in that it, a community association here had to fill a different role. So there were people here that, although we have all, a lot of volunteerism in the arts and uh, different social agencies in the Beltline and downtown, there wasn't really... Um, a way to get involved and sort of take on projects that were more just focused on the neighborhood and that sort of thing. And so, so there was no community association at all. Not really active. Okay. There'd sort of been things that had come and gone in the past, and so um, so we started this new organization and kind of just built it from scratch, where we were meeting in pubs and coffee shops at first, library basement. And um, it's kind of funny because we, in our first year, we did like a strategic planning session, which seems like a really keen, keener thing to do. Uh, it sounds like something an engineer might do. Maybe, yeah, yeah. And it's sort of about breaking up your problem, your big problem into smaller pieces. 
And, you know, at the time we talked about um, having a community and arts center, doing murals, having these really great events, and it all seemed really, you know, unlikely to really actually materialize. But if uh, you fast forward a few years now, a lot of that actually came to fruition and probably even like bigger than we ever could have expected. Um, so that's kind of cool how that worked. And I think that being, that has a lot to do with just, again, having done all these other things already and had all these other really great people involved, things just really clicked together and we were sort of able to create something bigger than the sum of all the different parts we were putting in so yeah it's interesting you said like the the murals were an idea basically from the beginning I'm curious like what did you envision in broad terms this thing being like you saw a need that you were trying to fill I guess and what was that need exactly Uh, a few different things I mean the belt lines being considered or viewed from the outside as a very transient a place where people aren't really invested or don't really care about where they live. And I think that was something all of us really disagreed with. So we wanted to um, start something that would be sort of a platform or vehicle for for everyone else who sort of felt the same way we did to get involved and take on these, these projects. And so we structured it as a really like project driven organization we didn't want people to be stuck in roles like where I'm secretary and you're this and we're going to have a community association and it's going to be this very like structured traditional thing. It was more just about like how do we do the things we want to do and so we started the bond spiel out of that. We started the McHugh House Community and Arts Hub and turned it into an all-ages venue. Uh, Of course the murals we had no idea how we would actually do so many mail, uh, uh, murals on such a large scale and, and never really turn it into something, but it just sort of like one thing kind of led to another. And um, one of the great things about Beltline, I think, is there's something here called density bonusing, which started up in L.A., where they're very protective of um, the heights of buildings there, and so they, but they wanted a way to economically preserve older buildings that were shorter but also encourage new development in their downtown. And so they created the system of density bonusing where you could transfer sort of height height above a, an older building and build taller on another lot. And the other sort of variant of that is where instead of transferring um, density between different plots of land, you can sort of buy that by paying into this fund, which then goes into public realm improvement projects and so that's one tool we've leveraged it's the city's used it to uh, improve the underpasses between the downtown and the Beltline and we've used it uh, to start the mural project and fund a bunch of all these really great murals and public art and stuff but the idea of a mural festival was kind of pulled from different cities Montreal's got a really good one Vancouver Edmonton even has one Winnipeg has one um, and so the one we've created, I think, is um, one that's strongly rooted in, in uh, artistic freedom and diversity of different artists and artistic styles, um, but also one that celebrates, I think, a city and uh, urban community and neighborhoods and really 
capitalizes on the the characteristics of the Beltline and sort of that very mixed, very diverse urban fabric that it has. One thing I'm really interested in is like how you go about creating something like this, um, building a movement or, or organizing any sort of a, a project like that. Um, not just the association, but also like the, the cycle tracks and, and the, the BRT and all that. Um, can you talk a little bit about like how you start doing that? Like what was, what was the first thing? Was it the cycle tracks that you started? Yeah, I think Calgarians for Cycle Tracks was the first one. I think that was right around the time they were looking at doing um, a cycle track on McLeod Trail and then a whole network of cycle tracks. And it was just getting completely killed in the media and by city council. And there just wasn't a voice or a unified voice maybe to advocate for them. And we felt, at least um, in the Beltline, that most people... Um, supported cycle tracks and, and being able to bike safely around everywhere or at the very least like really didn't were agnostic to whether or not or didn't really care so um, I think all that was really needed was sort of like someone to get out and start banging a drum and marching and that's kind of what we did we created a little brand and a website and a, I actually think it just started as a Facebook page and in a very short time, it just exploded with followers. We um, one of the big things, I think, opponents, the, the the small group of opponents against the cycle tracks were saying was that it was going to destroy businesses. This is something you hear in every city, um, and in fact, when we talked to businesses, they were most of them were actually pretty cool with it, like not <laughs> getting destroyed, but cycle tracks. <laughs> yeah, that'd be weird. So um, so we actually focused it into a, a sort of a, a micro like business campaign where we we created this little sign um, and businesses that supported the cycle track would hold up the sign that say we support the cycle track network and it was all very like friendly and made you feel good and was that uh, I think uh, allowed people to sort of see the face of all these different businesses and all these very real people who really supported this whole um, project. So if, if you, like, this is the first kind of campaign that you have started from, mm -hmm. from scratch, where, where were you drawing your tactics from? What were, did you have influences, or where, where did that come from? Ah, uh, good question. Were you just making it up as you go along? Kind of making it up as we went along. Um, yeah. And who, who is your co-founder? Uh, so there's... Jeremy Barreto, um, uh, Evan Wilson was another friend on there, Evan Galbraith, there's a lot of Evans, I guess. Um, there were people who were also in Bike Calgary who uh, were part of that. There were other, um, oh yeah, Augustine Loro. Um, so there were a lot of people sort of in the neighborhood who wanted to, to help out with it and um, so everyone just kind of pitched in, took turns posting things on Facebook and learning what worked and what didn't work. And we learned that, you know, the photos of people, the real people and the real businesses, uh, you know, kind of putting their neck out and saying, yeah, I support this. This is good. We should be doing this. Um, just kind of gave cover for more people to come out and voice their support. And so once you kind of got the first one or two businesses, then two or three more came and then even more came behind them. And, um, 
yeah, you have like your early adopters and you have your people who eventually all come out. And so, yeah. But I mean, I assume these things don't just fall into place. Like you were actively looking for people and you were actively trying to get people's support of this. A bit of both. Like uh, at first we certainly were. Like I think we had a list of maybe 20 people. But then by the end of it, we were just getting emails from or messages from from like unsolicited. So do you think that uh, like you you like you said, you just someone had to get out and lead the, and bang the drum. Like, was it just that you needed, we needed a unified voice for something like that. And you just like put up like a, a sign that said unified voice over here and everyone just kind of flocked to it. Like, did you tap into something there? I think it was just bra breaking it down to the very simplistic message that we support the cycle track network and that, sounds very like that doesn't sound like a big deal but you also have to remember there were very passionate bike advocates at the time who are very smart and very um you know dedicated to what they're doing but they also get into the weeds and so they'll fight each other over well should it go down this street or this street should it be should the intersection be designed like this or this and none of that really matters we just need to build like, you just need to do this, and we'll let the experts, you know, the transportation engineers at the city who, you know, went to school for this and are looking at examples around the world, we'll let them figure out the nuts and bolts. Yeah, and I mean, you can advocate for your views on that later. Like, that's a fight after this fight. The first fight is to win the, the political yeah. vote. Yeah, so it's, it's, a lot of it was just about simplifying the message. I think making it positive also, because um, I think people are more willing to speak out for something positive i think than something negative i don't know if that still holds today i hope i'd like to think it does <laughs> i feel like it might be more true today than ever <laughs> i feel like people are, are hungry for something positive yeah. but i'm i'm curious it's good you mentioned positivity because there was a lot on the other side there was a lot of passion from people who opposed not only the cycle tracks but also the brt from and yeah. also secondary suites um you know you had uh, the rick bells and sean shoes of the world um very very opposed to cycle tracks, which seems like just such a small thing, but uh, it apparently will just ruin their lives. So how did you, how did you view opponents of your different initiatives? Um, I think it was worth acknowledging that there were opponents everywhere. Like New York City had opponents, even in Montreal, where I think they had this battle um, and in Amsterdam, you know, decades before we ever had to with uh, sort of having space for bikes in cities. Um, <laughs> Montreal has some of the most badass stories of, um, of bike advocacy where they'd organize die-ins on the street and put fake blood all over themselves and everything. So pretty radical things. Um, but I think, well, I, 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 Sean Chu, Rick Bell, some people listen to them but a lot of people don't so yeah there's going to be opponents and unfortunately the way the media is structured um, it's always looking for who's for and who's against and it, you lose scale of um, how big those two sides really are it's I think what's funny now or actually maybe not funny but really sad now is you look at a counselor like Sean Chu God knows how he got reelected, but he did. And here we are in an economic crisis. I mean, um, the city's 
uh, finances are really, really strained. And this is a guy who spent the last four years, five years now maybe, counting bikes, fighting a cycle track, like a, what, a $3 million project? And you've now got, you know, a $60 million a year hole in your budget or whatever. And this is where, you know, had uh, the counselors, some of these counselors, had a, a maybe a little bit more foresight, maybe a little bit more of a scope of, you know, the different issues or like a sense of scale or relativity, they wouldn't have spent so much of their time on something that was really just a very small emotional issue and being able to focus on something something that actually would have impacted us much more today or helped us a lot more today than some some newsreels. Yeah, well speaking of Sean Chu and newsreels, he called Nenshi Bitchy today in council and then she threatened to kick him out, so that was that was fun. I saw that. Um yeah, I mean it's almost as though we can't trust Shanchu's judgment. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I I don't know what to say. I mean, I wish we could attract um, a brighter, uh, brighter people to to run for city council. So the uh, the cycle track initiative came first, and then after that, you had the BRT and the secondary suites. Yeah. Um, I, I take it that you learned a lot of lessons in both tactics and strategy from the the first campaign. Um, what were some of the best ones that you, you carried forward? And, and do you think they would apply in general to any sort of initiative in Calgary? I think so, but I'm trying, you know, I have to almost, I don't know if they're like big secrets anymore. I, I think some of the key things are, are having a positive message. I think being very like genuine. Um, I also think just sometimes being on like the right side of, of the issue. Like I think in all of these cases, there was nothing like there was no like political self-interest in any of these things like none of us like personally gained from any things these were just really the right thing to do like we need to make our cities more accessible to um to people other than people driving cars um we need to make our city more affordable for people who want to be able to buy a house but you know, maybe can't afford one right away and need to rent out the the suite for for extra income, or, or have their parents live downstairs, or or uh, or people who are just looking for an apartment to live in. Also, I think one of the biggest issues right now in the city, maybe we can park it for later, but like just growth management and um, where years of bad decisions are now catching up to us, and we have this gigantic sprawling city which is very expensive to operate and we don't seem to be turning in the right direction fast enough no no i mean we're just uh, building 14 new communities on the edge of the city 14 new communities while we're closing uh pools public pools in the beltline and in inglewood we closed the police station here um uh, two years ago because of budget constraints um they cut back on upgrades to main streets in, in existing neighborhoods and we're building yeah 14 new communities which was almost double what administration had recommended and we're now growing at a much slower pace than we ever um, projected and so are we just deepening the problem so uh, secondary suites was something that I think very slightly positively contributes towards 
um, more growth in existing neighborhoods as opposed to putting every un new unit of housing in the next farmer's field down. I think it's more than just slightly contributes. It's, it's a, it can be a pretty significant tool for, for instituting more growth in the city and just providing more housing options for people. I believe so. Um, I think over time we'll see, we'll see that change. I think that one of the big game changers will be also backyard suites. And we're, I don't think we're quite, we quite have that in place yet. So like detached laneway housing and all that, it's, um, I think there's a ton of potential there. It really does, you know, maintain in a lot of ways the same height density or height and characteristics of a neighborhood, um, but just provides different housing options and really is, is a form of very gentle density that I don't think would like completely overwhelm any community. You said that like um, you, you were just, it helped to be on the right side of all these issues. Um, and I agree, I think that like on these specific three issues, like there is no balance between like two, between the, the pro and the, the opposing side. Like there, it's not, that doesn't work like that. Yeah, no one's, no one out there, no one credible is telling you that cities shouldn't be building affordable rapid transit. So I think it's like well understood now that um, auto-oriented cities are very expensive and they don't scale well and that is economically detrimental to their success. So the question now is how do the cities that built out one way um, make a transition without breaking down? Yeah. But the, uh, the, the cycle tracks and the BRT were kind of two, when they came along, they were two new fights. They were uphill battles in a city that like, does not have a great track record on those things. And there was obviously going to be a lot of opposition to something like that. Secondary suites was not a new fight at all. Uh, it goes back quite a long way. It's absurd. Um, but somehow it went through. Somehow this was the time. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. And so I'm curious, do you think that... Um, part of the success of these things is also that it's just the right time that Calgary has reached some kind of a tipping point? Or do you think that it's just a matter of organizing the people who support these community-minded endeavors into a unified voice? It was, it was probably a little of all of that. There, um, remember, there were, from the time Calgarians for secondary suites started, which was by no means the beginning of the secondary suite, saga, <laughs> um, there were several losses or sort of um, impasses along the way. So there were a lot of setbacks. You know, there were counselors, uh, Shane Keating was one who, you know, kept the ball in the court and would, you know, six months or a year later, you know, throw out a new proposal. And um, over time, I think you could see if I bet if you you laid out the 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 stories in the media, I think you saw a shift in the the perception of Calgarians on secondary suites, and a lot of it. I think a lot of the resistance was classism, and there's a. It's really strange, but there's a really. Um, and I'm not the first person to say this. There's there's a history of um, of looking down and frowning upon people who rent versus people who own if you go to like almost any other city it's a lot more split and a lot um like irrelevant to people 
whether someone rents or owns. Um, and for some reason in Calgary, it was a big deal and it's less of a deal now. Um, but it, I think there's still some of that there. And over time, I think people got tired of the argument, but I think attitudes changed and um, the city grew up a bit, I think. Um, I want to bring back to the Beltline just for a second. Um, the mural project is, I think, one of the most more, it's very high, high visibility for one thing, but I think it's also um, a very brilliant and sorely needed um, community building project because it's high visibility, because um, like cycle tracks serve people in lots of different ways, especially cyclists, um, but murals are something everybody can appreciate and enjoy, and you see them everywhere, and they're also just fantastic and wonderfully done. Um, I'm curious, why did you want to bring murals into the Beltline? I think my first uh, exposure with a really, um, a city with a strong mural, a mural scene was um, Bogota, Colombia. I went there back in 2015, and they had a very organic mural scene. It was sort of this, uh, they had a lot of what looked like um, commissioned murals almost. Um, but then there was also this, yeah, this very like grassroots, like street organized mural scene. And so they, you, they had um, right in the heart of the city, there's this older neighborhood called the Candelaria and um, just alleys full of, uh, all sorts of different murals that would tell stories, that would pay, sort of be homages to various uh, public figures or leaders. Or um, Obviously, they have a very like uh, heavy history. I think there's a lot there, and there's a lot that they're working through. And murals are one way they've done that, but in a way that's like very colorful and invigorating in the city. And on, you know, old old buildings too, you know, that would otherwise be very unremarkable and um, dingy maybe. And it can really, so I got to see firsthand how that really changed the, the attitude of a city. And it's probably to this day the friendliest place I've ever visited. And I think if you look at the, the universal rankings, whether or not you really like pay much attention to them, they're also one of the happiest countries in the world, the Colombians. And I sort of made this connection between what they were doing, what I saw there, and, and those murals. And so here, um, it was something we talked about at the founding of the BNA, and it wasn't until um, this other uh, fellow who's, in, who's been active in the neighborhood for years, Peter Shrivers, helps that it's another Peter. Uh, Peter's for murals. Yeah, exactly. The, the wall, or the hall of Peter's. He, uh, yeah, he came along and um, was interested in, in putting up a whole bunch of murals. And we got connected and decided to do it through the Beltline Neighborhoods Association. So we just started out doing uh, four murals as a pilot because at that point, we didn't really, like none of us, neither of, our, uh, neither of us are artists, neither of us have painted a mural. I haven't even really painted a fence before, maybe <laughs> once. <laughs> so like the first thing we had to figure out was like, can we paint a few murals like do we even know how to do this and so we piloted four murals in the first uh, year we did a call for submissions um, and got a really great response and from there uh, in 2018 we um, more than almost tripled the number of murals and did 11 
did a bigger call for submissions, built up a sort of a jury process, and uh, launched the first festival. And the festival idea kind of came out of what we saw Vancouver and Montreal were already doing, where you're putting on all these great murals, but there's so much more you can do to sort of like celebrate that and um, at the same time hold cool events in outdoor spaces like alleys. And we'd been experimenting with that in the BNA for a little while too. And so the two ideas of doing these alley parties and having murals kind of like came together. At the same time, through, um, I think I'd started volunteering at CGSW doing the show and I'd met a lot of really amazing people there who are so passionate about music. Calgary's got such a good music scene and um, CGSW's full of these really dedicated uh, volunteers who are music nerds, not music snobs. And so it's a very welcoming environment and from there um, we just sort of started collaborating on um, community music shows and that's what sort of um, complemented the murals is these um, alley parties, music shows um, to go with the murals. One last thing uh, I would add too is my trips or my vacations have typically been these cities, uh, urban trips like Bogota and uh, one of my favorite things to do is just to first day you land in a city to book a bike tour or a walking tour or some kind of art tour or architecture tour and learn the lay of the land um, but get sort of the different stories. And I felt like Calgary doesn't really have that. And so I really wanted to um, to make that a component of the uh, Bump Festival. And so we have mural tours. And um, it feels like a total, it, it's a fun you know, little gig and, privilege and, and project, but it also feels like a privilege to be able to go around and show people your city and, you know, tell them something they maybe don't know about it. How many murals are there now? So after, uh, so we now have 31. We did 16 this year. So it's kind of, it feels like it's hitting this critical mass where you almost can't turn a corner without seeing one. And each year now when they go in, you can feel there's like a little, the excitement-o-meter in the community kind of goes up and like there's more people kind of smiling, you know, taking pictures on the street or standing and watching a mural getting painted and uh yeah it's 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 really fun to be able to to put that on for once um instead of being a spectator somewhere else and seeing it this is another thing that feels like no one could possibly be opposed to this but i'm curious if you have had any opposition or pushback um not really no it's actually been i almost i never expected there to be a lot if we did this right but uh, it's actually been really refreshing to see, despite being in a city where public art has been, I think, overly politicized and turned into a whipping boy, this project has been like instantly accepted and overwhelmed with support from people. Um, I think that's been really cool. I think part of that must be because it's... Uh very democratic in a way it's very grassroots as opposed to like the city's public art program which was perceived by a lot of people as just like being handed down from on high from a panel selected by you know bureaucrats and, and people were opposed to it whereas you know these murals are a lot more organic and grassroots i wouldn't beat up on the city's program so much i think 
I, I, I'm not saying that's true. Yeah. I'm just saying that's that's the perception from sure. opponents of it. Yeah, and I think um, murals are cheap, and the city's been doing a lot of sculptures and a lot of sculptures tied to, um, or the ones that get I think, I think seem to be the least popular are these you know sculpture pieces that get tied to a giant piece of infrastructure, and. You know, going back to the growth issue in our city again, a lot of the infrastructure and the capital money we're spending is um, not on great urban infrastructure for urban neighborhoods that support active modes of transportation. We're building a lot of uh, vehicle-oriented infrastructure. And so, yeah, so we're spending a lot of money on sculptures beside interchanges. So already, no matter what you design as an artist, like you're starting off and fighting an uphill battle. Um, but yeah, as I was saying, murals are cheap. And we've always felt that the, the mural festival should be sort of a catalyst for local artists and the local uh, art scene to not just inspire people to maybe get involved more in creative industries, but also um, to maybe take their practice into mural creation, um, but also to bring in a healthy amount of cross-pollination from across the rest of the country and internationally because that is what will make this um, a really a really uh, great city for murals. And I think we've also had to learn and give room for, for all sorts of different artistic styles but also like street art, graffiti art. And uh, so we've, we've pivoted more um, to include that because that's uh, an, an important part of the entire scene um, and so we're sort of we're building that up and, and also the indigenous um, art scene I mean this is such a huge it's a very critical time for reconciliation and uh, a big part of I think the role cities can play in that is involving the urban indigenous in 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 art projects like this one and giving them a platform for their work and that their practice we've done i guess three indigenous uh, murals by indigenous artists now commissioned um and we're we're working on building up our submission process our applications to get more submissions from um, different communities that right now we don't have as um, much participation from all right so let's look to the future what's uh What's down the road for the Beltline? What's what's next, and what's next for you? Oh man! Well, what's immediately next for me is vacation. So I'm going <laughs> canoeing, as, as we were talking about before, later this week, um, to northern Alberta. Hopefully, mostly outside, off the cell phone grid. Um, and I'm also looking at taking a trip to Amsterdam coming up here. I haven't been there yet, for all my me neither urban blabbing. Um, so maybe I'm gonna come back and hate bikes. <laughs> or maybe I'm gonna be like, no, we need more bike overpasses or interchanges. Um, but I, I'd like to see, to continue to build up the, the bump project. I don't think that's really hit its sort of like, its peak yet. I think um, we're looking to expand that. This was the first year we actually did a couple murals outside of the Beltline. So we had two in the downtown. So. We're looking to work more with the downtown uh, association and uh, and look at do, doing more bump outs in other um, districts. 
I live in Bridgeland. Come to Bridgeland. Do some yeah. do some murals in Bridgeland. Would love to. Yeah. Um, you know, it's about time we got a couple more or a few more cycle tracks. There's a lot of big things hitting right now. I mean, um, the green line is still in flux through the belt line. I mean, we're rehashing old battles over um, running at surface through the belt line. And I, I think for that, if that project is to be a success, it still has to not just serve as suburban commuter rail and repeat the mistakes of the past and um, sterilize a lot of valuable and important space in the downtown in the Beltline. I think it has to act as sort of a, a multiplier and a catalyst for creating more development, which doesn't just help these neighborhoods, but helps the whole city. So I don't know how that project's going to go. <laughs> um, I think getting uh, getting a, a grip back on um, what the heck we're doing with these 14 communities, um, I think council should really be revisiting those. And um, maybe 14 was a little ambitious and it was naive or it was made with the information at the time and the information at the time um, has changed and knowing what we know now, we should be building less. And I think the good news is most of those communities haven't started um, being constructed yet. So, I mean, I think there's the opportunity to course correct there. I think we're at a critical time for our city where um, we've done some great things, like this library that we're in, the the cycle tracks were a part of it. I mean, even we were one of the first cities in Canada with the e-scooters, and those have been a, a huge success and I think are really getting people excited about urban living and everything. But I, I think we risk going back, like slipping back, to the same pattern of the past, which isn't going to do us any good. We're going to continue to have a more expensive city that then has less means to sort of do great things and be a place where this generation wants to stick around. And I think it's also a, a time in uh, provincial politics, and we've got a federal election coming up, and there's a lot of politicians and this isn't unique to Canada, obviously, but there's a lot of politicians here who want to tell us how we feel, that we're angry, to make us afraid of um, people who look differently, to, to focus a lot of anger. And I think going back to the, the mural project, I think to me that project is a big um, exclamation point on the idea that Canada and this city here are... Um, built up on communities of different people from different backgrounds and different identities. And that is something to celebrate. And we don't need some loser politician to tell us how we feel. I think we sort of own our own story and, um, and we are ultimately stronger together. And I think now more than ever, it's important to, to remember that. I don't, I don't think I answered your question. What's next? <laughs> that's that's okay. That was that was great. Um, in keeping with your uh, brand of positivity, I think that's a good note to end on. So, uh, Peter, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks very much, Taylor, for having me. That's it for the show. Big thanks to Peter Oliver. You can find more information about the Murals Project and the Beltline Neighborhoods Association at beltlineyyc.ca. The Calgarian is hosted and produced by me, Taylor Lambert. Theme music is Dandelion by Ghostkeeper. 
If you like this show, please feed and water it by sharing it on social media, leaving a review in your podcast app, or checking out the Patreon. Visit thecalgarian.ca for more details. Thanks for listening.